Open your Bibles with me this morning, if you would. You can see on screen Philippians chapter 4, beginning a series today on wisdom in life, wisdom for life. A lot of what the Bible teaches is very practical. We're going to talk about some of those things, some of the ways that God instructs us to live, not just do's and don'ts, but more than that, ways to approach life, way to think about yourself and others. Philippians chapter 4, we'll read just a small section, but I'll be looking at different passages throughout this section, so just keep your Bibles open, Philippians chapter 4. As always, we begin with prayer, a time for you to go to God yourself and speak to him about things that are on your heart. Special prayer for Terry Keaton, many of you know that he was taken to the hospital emergency room just right after Sunday school. So be in prayer for them that they can get in and out and be treated and have a good Mother's Day. Pray for our nation. We are divided on everything. So pray that God can work and be heard. I'll give you a few moments of prayer where you're seated. I'll close and then we'll look at the passage together. Join me in prayer, please. Heavenly Father, again we come to you in prayer, opening our hearts to you. We ask that in this worship service that we might honor you with our gift of worship, with our offerings and gifts, with our submission to the teachings of your word and leadership of your spirit. Help us, Father, to live in a way that honors you, to live in a way that you can use to share your message of Jesus. Help us to live in a way that honors you. We pray today, Father, for those in our midst who struggle, particularly for Terry Keaton and his family, but there are others too. Work as only you can to bring strength and health and comfort. We pray, Father, for guidance in this country. We pray that you might be allowed to work in this great nation. Father, we do thank you for this great nation, for the lives that we live. We thank you, Father, for the wealth that we have. We eat. We sleep comfortably. We are comfortable. We are secure. Thank you, Father, for this great nation. We thank you also for the salvation we have in Jesus, forgiveness of sins, and the indwelling of your spirit, and your scriptures that teach us. We thank you. And for the many blessings that go unmentioned so many times, thank you. We pray for grateful hearts, hearts that are open to your leadership. As always, we pray for our nation's leaders, for those who have power over us. Give them wisdom and discernment and restraint. Help them to know when to be strong and when to be weak. We pray, Father, that as we speak of our elected leaders, that you would give them wisdom and speech that their words would heal and not divide. Give us a gracious spirit as we deal with those from around the world that want to enter our borders. Give us wisdom and discernment, but grace and kindness too. 
We pray, Father, that we would, as a nation, act in a way that would honor our roots. We pray for our first responders, soldiers and families. Give them comfort and peace. Use them to save lives. Protect them. Comfort their families. Father, this day, we acknowledge your authority over us that this thing called family is gift from you. Help us, Father, to support those families wherever we encounter them. Speak to us now as we study your word together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have you ever gotten something because you just had to have it? And then you get it and it's exciting for about two hours? On screen is a picture of this little car. Now, this isn't my car. It's just a car I picked off the line. But I saw this car, this exact, not this exact car, but this exact model of car at Walmart the other day. And you know, I tell you that Walmart is my window to the world. So I had just seen way too much of the world that I wanted to. And I was out in the parking lot and I saw that car out in the parking lot. And the sun was clear. It was one of those beautiful days. And there weren't any trashy pickups around. My pickup was on the other side of it, so it wasn't messing up with the vision and I saw this beautiful car and, and I'm a car guy and even though I don't want this car I like this car it's cute it's neat I would look, look good driving it and so on and so forth and I was standing there gawking at it without paying attention to it if you know what I mean and I was looking at that car and I walked around and looked at it and I didn't get too close, didn't touch it, didn't smudge it because it was really shiny. And then, I, and then the door opened and there was somebody in it. And I thought, oh my gosh, I've been, I've been caught. And there I was, an old man drooling over somebody else's car. And then I bust out laughing because there was an old man in the car and he got around about like I did. And I didn't say anything, but I watched him in agony getting out of that car because this little car is a little bitty car and it's made for young people that can't afford it only old people can afford it but they're the ones who can't get into it so anyway it sits way down low and its doors open wide but they're heavy and he had you know he you've seen this contortion the old men getting out of those cars they shouldn't have and he did one of those things and I saw him reach up and he, he had this look on his face then he reached up the door and he got out and he looked at me and I looked at him and I didn't know what else to do, so I just smiled real big, and I waited for him out of courtesy, and I said, is it worth it? He goes, oh, yeah. <laughs> so we had a great talk, and we talked for just a couple of minutes about what it is like a car, and then what it is like having a new car like that and being too old to really enjoy it, because he acknowledged it was a great car, and it drove her good, but it hurt him to get in, and it really hurt him to get out, and all those kinds of things. And we had this great conversation, two old guys that, you know, we were just car guys, and we went on about our ways. But I thought about that often. He wanted that car really bad. He's a car nut. He saved a long time, because they're pretty spendy cars, and he finally got it. And every time he got out of it, I'm sure he was thinking, oh my gosh, here we go again. The knees and the hips and all those kinds of things. You know, and isn't life like that? Things that you just, you just got to have when you finally get them. Well, they're not that great. Cars, clothing, whatever. Just the way it is, isn't it? On this earth, no matter what you want, if it's something of this world, 
There's nothing necessarily wrong with it, but it just cannot satisfy you for very long. It just doesn't work that way, and you and I have all experienced that. Whether it be clothing that gets to where it's too tight as it hangs on a hanger, or shoes that go out of style, or things like that. You know, things that of this world just cannot satisfy you for very long. This is one of those great truths of Scripture, isn't it? Now, of course, Scriptures don't talk about cars and things like that. But the Scripture talks a lot about this life and how to be happy in this life and how to be content and how you cannot be content with the things of this world. So we're going to look at a short passage of Scripture today where Paul talks about this very thing. Follow along with me in Philippians 4. I'll read verses 10 through 13. Verse 10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So Paul teaches us in this very short passage, which is part of a longer section we're going to look at, that this world and everything within it can only offer fleeting glimpses of contentment and satisfaction. So Debbie, if we can go to that next screen, we can get that up there. And it can only last for a little bit. Like my friend, my nameless friend with a fancy car, he loves that car, and eventually he'll have to give it up, won't he? When my dad was in his early 80s, he had always wanted a Harley-Davidson motorcycle. Never bought one because he was too tight to spend the money. Anyway, that's another story. But he always wanted a Harley. So I bought one somewhere along the way, and he loved my Harley. Never rode it. As far as I know, after he sold his Indian in 1940, he never had a Harley. But he had lots of Hondas and Suzukis and things like that. And when he was in his early 80s, and he was not able to get around very well. He could drive and he could eat and, and go to the bathroom and that was the way he talked about his life. You know, and he wanted to buy a Harley. I said, Dad, what are you going to do with a Harley? He goes, I'm going to look at it. I said, no, seriously. He goes, I'm serious. I want to buy it and I want to put it in a garage and I'm going to look at it. He talked like that for a couple years. Now, I didn't talk him out of it because I would have borrowed it. But he never bought it. But he would have gained great pleasure from that, shouldn't, wouldn't he? But he knew that sometimes, no matter how bad you want something, it just can't satisfy. You remember and recognize the name John D. Rockefeller. He was one of the richest men on the planet in history. At one point, one year, his income was greater than 1% of the entire economy of this nation. And this was back in the 20s, but he fabulously wealthy. And he was one of those guys who talked a lot about himself, and he had a following, and the press kind of made a lot about him, because he said a lot of things. He was a smart guy, great accomplishments and things like that. And they asked him one time, and he was on a roll, and he was talking, having a good time with the reporters, Mr. Rockefeller, how much money is enough? And they all got quiet, because this was a serious question. He goes, just a little bit more. You see, it was a trap, wasn't it? And he knew it. He could never have enough. Because no matter how much you have, no matter what you have, no matter what you're worth, if you've bought into that lifestyle and that system of thinking, it's never enough. Because no matter what you have, there's always more. 
Paul was talking about his ministry in this passage. His writing to the church at Philippi. And they were his cohorts in ministry. He'd been there, led a lot of them to Christ, etc. And they were good people. And they were Christians just like you and me, just doing their best. And they gave him money and tried to support him in his ministries. And it came up, because we know that his letters were responses to the situation, that they wondered if they were getting anything out of their investment in him. And what the point was and all those kinds of things. And he began to explain this. He says, listen, I've learned something here. He said, life is hard. But I've learned that if I trust God, I'm going to be all right. And sometimes I'm going to have everything I want and get whatever I want. And then sometimes not. Last year, we went through the book of Ecclesiastes in one of our Wednesday night Bible studies. And it's turned out to be one of my favorite books. Now, some of you are thinking, now wait a minute, what is the book of Ecclesiastes? That's an Old Testament book written by, we don't know who for sure, probably Solomon. And in that book, he talks about how unhappy he had been in life because he had made a lot of money and that didn't make him happy. And he had a lot of girlfriends and wives and that didn't make him happy. And it had great careers and that didn't make him happy. And this is the way it went all the way through the book. And if you're not careful, the casual reading will show you just how unhappy people are in this life. But, if you read it closely and pay attention, five different times he says something to the effect that the blessings are there for those who eat meals with their family. And that's a generalization, of course. But that's what he was talking about. And then he finally said, happiness comes from those who live in the fear of God. So listen to that. So the old preacher said it that way. That there is a way of life that brings great blessings when you face and focus your life on Jesus. So the Old Testament preacher taught this. The way to experience lasting contentment on this earth is to live your life based on faith in eternal God. So that is the wisdom of the Old Testament. If you want to be happy... If you want contentment, accept what God gives you and live your life in faith. Isn't that amazing? Doesn't say anything about working hard, pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps, save your money. Those are all good ideas, by the way. And the Bible doesn't teach against those things. But the Bible is very clear that those are limited. You can only pull yourself up so high with your own bootstraps, of course. And career can only take you so far. And even though you get everything, you can end up being just like John D. Rockefeller. How much is enough? Just a little bit more. Paul, though, in this passage, answered it differently. It is enough. How much do you need? What I have. You see, it doesn't change the facts of life. But what it does, it changes you. It changes what is within your heart. And that really is the Christian life. Christian life isn't necessarily changing your circumstances or getting out of problems. God can help you do all of those things. But that's not the goal. The goal is to live your life in the way that God wants you to live. Paul experienced this. And, you know, his life was hard. You've read the story of Paul's life. Beaten, run out of town, shipwrecked, lost his family, lost his fortune became one that the power structures despised simply because he followed Jesus and talked about him. 
And his answer, the New Testament preacher answer, was that a life devoted to Jesus can bring us joy and satisfaction. In the verse that we read, he talks about, I've been there, I've, I've had everything, and then I've been without. Talking about his experiences in ministry. There have been times when he had more money than he could spend, and he was buying food for people and helping the poor and doing all those kinds of things, and he had everything. He was thrilled. And then sometimes he was starving. No friends, no support. The churches failed him, imprisoned, impoverished, beaten. And he learned that regardless of circumstances, if you focus your life on Jesus, there's this surprise. You can still be happy. It's kind of hard for us to keep this in mind. I was talking to one of the band members earlier. I'm going to retire in two or three years. I'm not sure when. And I'm trying to decide how when I can afford to retire. You know those conversations. And you have those conversations with your spouse. Then you have those internal conversations. And then I'm working on this sermon that says, listen, happiness comes from this. And then the worldly part of me says, well, that may not be enough. You ever caught yourself thinking that way? Sure. Because we have this temptation to let the world determine the way we think. If you let the world determine the way you think, if you let our culture and the influences determine the way you value life and possessions and things, then you will struggle because you will always want more. Like John D. Rockefeller. Or like Paul, you can learn that there is much more to life. Follow along with me as I read in chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Still in Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He had been through it, and he learned the hard way. Interestingly enough, if you look, down in verse 13, he says something here. Look at verse 12. He talks about the secret. You know, sometimes we talk about the secret to life and all those kinds of things. In this passage, Paul gives it. Look at verse 12. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. And here's the secret. I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. That's the secret. The secret of contentment in this life isn't getting everything. The secret in this life is learning to so valuing your relationship with Christ that he works within you and he changes your heart. Your circumstances don't necessarily change. They don't necessarily get any better. But you change. So instead of being contented by what you have, you are contented in spite of what you have. Sometimes you will have much. At other times you will have little. And the secret is, if you trust Christ, it won't matter. Now think about that. If you could think that way, how would that change your approach towards life? 
towards the way you handle your finances, towards the way you give to the impoverished or get involved in ministry or do anything. If, if what you get has nothing to do with your satisfaction, but allowing Christ to work within you has everything to do with your satisfaction, how would that change you? How would that change our lives? How would that change our politics? Just pretty messy. So the secret is learning to trust Christ. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That's the secret of life. The secret of satisfaction is allowing God to work within you through Jesus. Where you just say, okay God, I don't know what to do. Come on in. And he changes your heart. So on screen, we're going to do what Paul did. Because we had to learn, just like Paul has to learn. Paul spent his years in ministry having to learn that secret. So here are a couple of things you can do to learn that secret. Practice gratefulness. Read this verse with me. In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. We're grateful when we feel like it, aren't we? You know, on Thanksgiving when you've got your family there and the, your bellies are getting ready to be full and you've been snacking and all this food's in front of you and everybody's in a good mood because of Thanksgiving. It's easy to be thankful on those days, isn't it? When everything's good, when everybody's healthy, when right now I'm feeling great, it's easy to be thankful and grateful and say, thank you, Father. But there's more, isn't there? If you're like me, sometimes you're just not feeling it. Anybody admit that? Sometimes I'm just not feeling very grateful. And it's not because anything's changed. I'm just not in the mood. Sometimes I'm cranky. I can eat a Snickers bar. I'm hangry. One of those things. Sometimes I'm in a bad mood because people have done something or said something. Or things aren't going my way. Or those waves of depression come that everybody experiences. And you're feeling like maybe your life isn't amounted to very much, etc. Those kinds of things come on. And if we're not careful, we can talk ourselves into a funk and, and we're unhappy and we're miserable and we're dealing with sometimes serious depression, usually just mild stuff that kind of comes and goes in waves. And that's the most important time when you need to practice being grateful. It's kind of one of those secrets and I stumbled into it after not listening for 30 or 40 years to Scripture. So sometimes when I'm feeling in a funk and I'm just not feeling anything very good, and it happens, I just start going through that list and count your many blessings, name them one by one. You know that old song? That works. And I think of, well, do I have people in my life that love me? Well, sure. Those little girls will call me Pop. That's it. It's all about them. Do I love them back? Oh, yeah. Have I eaten? Obviously. Will I eat today? Sure. Will I sleep comfortably? Yes. Am I safe and secure in my home and in my country? Of course. And the list goes on, doesn't it? I mean, for every one of us here, the list is almost endless. If there is any place in the world where people have a reason to be grateful, it's here. And it doesn't really matter how you feel. Have you ever noticed that? How you feel has nothing to do with reality. 
Because even when you feel like your life is wasted or you've thrown it away or something like that, none of those things have changed for the most part. So practicing being grateful is discipline. You just sit down and, and instead of feeling sorry for yourself and moping around and blah, 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 you start counting your blessings. And if you allow that to happen and you do that as discipline, over time you begin to think, I've got a pretty good life. And you do. Even when things aren't perfect. Even when there is loss. Even when you're facing your own loss. There is still good. God has been gracious and generous. And so we're taught here in this passage, practice Gratefulness, verse 6, in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God all the time. One of the other things on screen is this idea of practicing righteousness and the nearness of God. And we won't read this because it's a jumble, but several things that are there. Prayer and thankfulness, verses 5 and 6. Being patient with others, verse 5. Developing a focus on the good in life. So what he's teaching us here is, listen... Because he's saying this as a guy who's been through it. I've been through it. You can suffer and be miserable and feel sorry for yourself and hate your life. Or you can get up and do what you can and allow God to change you. Prayer and thankfulness means just that. Practice prayer. It's a discipline, folks. You don't get to, you know, if, if you want this whole Christian thing to work, you don't just go by how you feel. Well, I'm feeling religious today. Well, I'm fear, feeling Jesus today. Now, people say that, and that is so bizarre because Paul would say, what? You don't follow Jesus because you feel it. You follow Jesus out of faith. And sometimes you feel it, and sometimes you don't. Got to remember... Don't follow your feelings. Follow that mind that God has given you. Follow scriptural teachings that God has given you. And your emotions will catch up eventually. Be patient with others. Isn't it interesting? He says, if you, if you want happiness and contentment in life, be patient with people. Work on those relationships. So those key relationships, you know who they are. Your family, your friends, people at church that you value, etc. You know, work with them. They will fail you, yes. You will bicker with your spouse. Your children will step on your toes and take your money. And on and on it goes. And your moms and dads will get on to you. And on. That's just people. Be patient. Probably appropriate on Mother's Day that we talk about being patient because how many times was Mama patient with us, right? We probably deserved a good smack, but she didn't always do it. Probably deserved a Bible on the behind, didn't always do it. She was patient. Practice patience. Value those relationships. And then this whole idea of righteousness is develop a focus on living a life that honors God. That's where the do's and the don'ts come in. And, and don't let anyone kid you. The do's and the don'ts of faith are important. Keeping sin out of your life is a thing that God wants you to practice. It is important that you work to keep sin out of your life. It is important that you integrate good practices into your life. That's just simple obedience. 
When you resist sin, God is able to bless you in some way. When you integrate those good things in your life, God is able to bless you in some way. So these are secrets of contentment. Christ in me. It's really not very complicated. There can be some things to learn, but really, it's just learning to focus on Jesus. On screen, there's one more passage. Read this with me if you would. I know how to get along with little, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Read this with me again. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That's the secret of joy in this life. No one can take that from you. No one. Not even the evil one. In Jesus, there is lasting contentment in spite of everything else. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Nate's going to come and lead us in a hymn of invitation this morning. The invitation is very simple. Make that choice to let Jesus lead you. Most of us are Christian. We've made that decision to follow Jesus as Savior. But if you're like me, you need to make that decision over and over and over to become obedient and allow him to work. Make that decision if you would. If you'd like to come forward, Michelle's going to come and lead us. Would you stand with me, please? Come and lead us in a closing prayer, if you would. Let's pray. We thank you, God, for, again, all the blessings that you've given us. We thank you for the message that we received today. Help us to look for opportunities to serve you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.